Hello and welcome to episode number 73 of the AFTV Newscast, being recorded March 3rd, 2017. My name is Elias Saba, and this is where I talk about the week's Fire TV news. Not too much actual specific Fire TV news to talk about this week. Uh, this time of year is kind of a bit of a lull as far as changes with the Fire TV go. Uh, so we got a lot of app news to talk about, so we'll kind of keep that trend. Last episode was heavy on the app news. This episode is heavy. We've got some uh, interesting Alexa-related stuff. Um, just a, a quick note, I'll probably start warning this at the beginning of every episode from now on. Uh, if you're watching this on a TV or something or within the vicinity of an Echo or an Echo Dot, it's probably a good idea to mute your Echo or Echo Dot or your Amazon Tap devices so that when I'm constantly saying the A word uh, throughout the episode, it doesn't trigger your devices. So fair warning there. I'll try to remember to, to warn you guys at the beginning of every episode from, from now on just because I've been getting a few complaints here and there from people's uh, echoes and echo dots going crazy just from me me talking about Alexa all the time. Sorry if last week's episode was a bit dull or a bit short. Uh, I was getting sick basically during that episode and then immediately right after that I came down with a, a cold or something. Uh, I'm pretty good now. You might notice my nose is a little bit stuffed. Uh, might sound a little bit nasally, that kind of stuff, but I'm pretty good right now. You know, I'm definitely on the tail end of the, the whole thing so things should be good um, I do want to note that I, I changed my settings a little bit for this episode um, if you have ever watched the live stream you'll probably know that I have audio sync issues with my live stream and my recording so I've actually dropped down the bit rate both on the live stream and on the recorded version for this episode just to see if that helps with things um, you know uh, it, it, I didn't drop it down too much, but definitely if you notice a, a, a significant degrade in video quality, please let me know down below in the comments, either on the uh, post for this episode on AFTVNews.com or even on the uh, YouTube comments if you're just watching straight on YouTube. So um, hopefully it doesn't uh, change things too much. I don't think it will, but I did want to mention it right now off the bat. All right, let's go ahead and jump right into things. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about was that earlier this week, uh, you may have heard, may not have heard, Amazon had a big uh, server failures, basically their cloud uh, AWS servers had had an issue for I think about four hours or so. I want to mention it here because it actually affected the Fire TV and you guys may have experienced something odd with your Fire TVs that you couldn't explain and so you know, it was because of Amazon servers. So essentially what the Fire TV does uh, right when it boots up and then periodically, you know, just while it's on, I think when it, it does it when it wakes up from sleep also, basically what the Fire TV does is it pings Amazon servers uh, to see if it can reach them. It does this to determine if it has an internet connection or not. And if Amazon server doesn't respond or if it cannot reach Amazon server, it assumes the Fire TV and the Fire TV stick uh, assumes that it does not have a valid internet connection and will then uh, put up a message saying, you know, network settings or something's wrong with the connection. And, and sometimes it won't even display the home screen. It'll basically just blank out the home screen and put up a, a network error message and, and force you to go into, into settings. Uh, so because Amazon servers were down, all Fire TVs were basically reporting that they had no internet connection when they actually did have an internet connection. So I really just wanted to mention it. Uh, if you did see your Fire TV report that it was offline or some, some weird error messages about the network were coming up, it's not an issue with your Fire TV. It's not an issue with your settings. It was just that Amazon servers went down for about four hours or so on uh, February 28th it was. If that happens again in the future, you usually can still get to your apps through the uh, Fire TV settings menu. If you go to settings and applications and then manage applications, 
applications. You can go in and launch your apps that way. This is if your home screen has gone blank and you, you can't actually get to the app section. Uh, you should be able to still launch your apps. Obviously, if your Fire TV is actually experiencing network issues, some of those apps won't actually necessarily work. But if it's just the Fire TV falsely thinking the network is down, but it really isn't, you should be able to go into your apps, you know, launch Netflix, launch Kodi, that sort of stuff from the settings area. So just want to let you guys know that's what happened this week in case you uh, experienced some uh, weird oddities with your Fire TV connection. Next up, I wanted to talk about a new version of my downloader app that I released this week. I released it on Sunday. It's version 1.1.1. Uh, you guys seem to, to like this app. It has, I think, over 700,000 downloads now. So it's, it's fairly popular. I think it's in the top 10 of all free apps on the Amazon App Store. So you guys definitely seem to like it and I'm, I'm still developing it and trying to add features that, that you guys can use and can enjoy. So the big new feature I've added to Downloader is actually a built-in web browser. Uh, the main reason for adding a web browser was not necessarily to actually let you browse the web and, and you know surf different websites. It was so that you can get to certain download pages that you can't actually access directly by you know putting in a download URL. So certain sites on the internet will uh, not give you a direct URL that you can enter to download a file. You actually have to load a web page so that they can serve you ads and then then they'll actually trigger the download you know by themselves you know automatically from that web page. So this was the reason I added the web browsers. Uh, a lot of sites like APK Mirror and APK Pure, I think it is. Those are one of the two most popular uh, APK download sites. Um, both of those require basically a web browser to download their files. You can't just you know co copy a URL or enter a URL directly. So I do want to mention that my my friend Lon Seidman, who has a very nice YouTube channel, been a big fan of his for a long time. Uh, you can get to his YouTube channel at Lon. TV. Uh, I basically sent him the uh, APK for the new downloader version a couple days before I actually released it so that he can check it out and, and potentially write a or make a review video of it, kind of showing it off, which he has. I'll, of course, put a link down below, but you can also find it embedded in my uh, post about the updated version. I uh, definitely recommend you, you check out the video if you haven't seen Downloader, even if you have. Uh, Lon does a great job of, of summarizing things, condensing things down to just the information you should know. And so it's a, it's a really good video. You should definitely check it out. Um, but the uh, the new the new browser feature basically from the home page of the uh, downloader app. Uh, I haven't changed anything there, so you can still enter a URL directly to a file that exists to download that directly. But the app now detects whether the uh, URL you enter is to a web page instead of to a file. And so if it detects it's to a web page, it'll prompt you and ask you, would you like to open that web page in the built-in browser? Uh, you can check the little box on the prompt that pops up to uh, prevent it from asking you every time if you want to just always jump to the browser. You know, But I definitely wanted to put up this message instead of automatically jumping people into a browser unexpectedly. So when you load pages in the browser, uh, you can actually navigate the page using just the Fire TV's remote. Uh, I made sure to try to make it as easy as possible. I know browsing a web browser on a Fire TV device or any TV device uh, is not necessarily the best thing because you don't have a mouse, you don't have a keyboard, but I did want to make it work as well as I could with the actual remote control. And so if you're watching the video version here, you'll see the little like uh, browser controls image that I have that shows up in the downloader app. But basically a cursor will appear on the screen when you're in the browser and you move that cursor around the screen using the up, down, left, right arrows on the remote control and you press the select button on the remote, the, the basically the button in the center of the circle uh, to click the, the cursor. So you're basically emulating a mouse essentially with the uh, Fire TV's remote control. 
Um, also, I've added the ability to uh, scroll down and up the page using the forward and the rewind buttons on the remote control. So if you're actually using it to browse and read an article, it's usually easier to just kind of scroll down a page using those two buttons. Uh, you can also move the cursor to the edges of the page and it will automatically scroll that way. So you've got a few options there for scrolling. And the last control you should probably know about is if you press the back button, it's as if you're moving back a page in the browser. So if you load a page, click a link, click another link, and then press the back button, you'll move, basically move back to the previous page you had loaded. If you press the play button, you'll move forward. So it's basically a back and forward button. Um, and lastly, if you press the menu button, it basically releases the cursor and, and moves you into the navigation menu. Um, it's not really necessary, but I figured, hey, I've got that extra button there, not really doing much, so I might as well use it. So with this new browser, one of, one of the big benefits is you don't need to actually know the full URL of the file you want to download. So say you wanted the latest version of Kodi, instead of having to go and look that up and figure out what URL you have to enter. You can literally just go to Kodi.tv, enter that in the downloader app. It'll load up Kodi's web page and you can use the mouse to navigate the downloads and navigate over to the uh, you know Kodi download link. Uh, so it just kind of helps things out. I think it makes uh, you know downloading APKs just that much easier since you don't have to know the full URL. Uh, if you do know the full URL, it is still a little bit quicker to just type that into the actual browser or sorry, the downloader app and it will still automatically download files, still automatically install APK. So nothing has changed there. This is just added on uh, another option if you want to use a browser instead of a, a direct download link. Uh, last thing I'll mention is just a couple new settings that I added. So the browser itself that's inside of the downloader app has uh, JavaScript disabled by default. Uh, the main reason I've done that is one, it's safer because if you happen to navigate to like a shady, uh, uh, you know, APK hosting site or something like that, which I, I know it's possible since the point of this app is to actually, you know, download APKs. Um, if you happen to go to one of those sites and it might have some malicious JavaScript or something, ha just having JavaScript disabled by default is is preferred um, unless you absolutely need it. So if you go into the settings, there is an option to enable JavaScript, but I would recommend leaving it disabled un again, unless you go to a website that actually needs it. Uh, you'll know if it needs it if you go and try to click a link or try to open some area of a website and it doesn't respond or doesn't do anything or you get an error or something weird happens, usually it's because JavaScript is disabled because most sites do require JavaScript or do use at least some JavaScript. So um, hopefully the site you use doesn't need it. But again, be careful if you do turn it on because you never know what kind of JavaScript is going to run on the sites and it could modify things or could, could you know, do something to your Fire TV. Just like the uh, previous version of Downloader, uh, I am paying for a developer to actually add these features now just because when I don't have the time myself and I don't have the skills to add some of these more advanced features, you know, this browser feature alone took about a month of his time uh, to, to create and to really get all the bugs out. You know, we had an initial version very early, but then there were a lot of bugs that, that he worked through and then I kept testing and then worked through. I actually had him purchase a Fire TV 2. I bought him a Fire TV 2 because there was a weird quirk that was only on the Fire TV 2 and it wasn't showing up on the other devices so there was no way for him to test so I actually bought him a Fire TV 2 just to get that working so if you like the browser if you like these features and if you want me to add more features uh, like uh, one thing I'm adding in the next version is a favorite section so that you can store URLs that you want to visit more often so that you don't have to type them in every time just because I know it's typing in in the Fire TV uh, using the remote is very annoying so so I do plan to to add more features so if you like the downloader and you like this feature and you like the the browser. Um, I encourage you to donate. Everything that you donate does go right back into the actual downloader app to basically further development. So uh, if you have the means, go for it. Otherwise, it's 
totally fine. The app is completely free. Uh, no actual like unlocking in-app purchases or anything other than the, these little donate buttons. And there are no ads and I want to keep it that way and I plan to keep it that way. So if I do get donations, I'm going to continue the development and add more features. If I don't, then so be it. It'll just kind of stay the way it is right now. But yeah, that's the downloader app version 1.1.1 right now. Hopefully uh, another new version will come out soon with some favorite options and a few more options in the browser that, that people have given me feedback about. Um, but yeah, of course, put a link down below to uh, get this. You can get it directly from Amazon straight from your Fire TV. You don't have to actually sideload the download app or anything like that. But if you do want to sideload it, I know some people have installed it on Android TV devices like the NVIDIA Shield, Nexus Player, and that sort of stuff. Uh, if you go to aftvnews.com slash downloader, I have direct links to download the APK files just directly from my site if you do want to sideload this onto any device. So uh, completely open in that sense. All right, moving on, next app I want to talk about is actually uh, Facebook's app. So uh, I think I talked about this last week where Facebook announced that they're going to release an app for the Fire TV and some other uh, uh, streaming box platforms. And sure enough, this week they did release their Fire TV app. I did write a little bit of an overview about it. So you can find a link down below to this overview if you want a little more detail. Or you could just uh, you know find a link to the actual Facebook app itself that you can install on the Fire TV and the Fire TV stick. Now, the app itself is fairly nice. It feels a little bit on the buggy side here and there. But for the most part, it's a, a pretty decent app. Uh, it's fairly different from the Twitter app that got released a little while back. So the Twitter app was kind of this, just a way to view Twitter's own videos, essentially. That was the main purpose for the Twitter app because they had this deal with the NFL and they had deals with other... Um, you know, content creators basically to uh, stream video through Twitter's own, you know, video network, I guess. But the Facebook app is actually very much about your own personal Facebook account. Uh, and it's m the most obvious because when you first launch the Facebook app, you're presented with a login screen, basically, and you can't do anything with the app until you log in with your Facebook account. So it's very much like almost your news feed, your Facebook feed on a TV interface. So at the top, you've got videos shared by your friends. Uh, these videos have to be uploaded to Facebook. They it can't just be linked to Facebook. So if like your friend shares a video that's hosted on some website or a YouTube video or something, those videos will not appear inside of this Facebook app. The videos only that are uploaded directly to Facebook that Facebook themselves are serving are, are available in this app. But scrolling down beyond the actual, you know, shared video section, there's a top live video. So that basically shows all the live videos that are streaming right now through Facebook streaming service. The app will also show you recommended videos just from, you know, all across Facebook, not just from your actual Facebook friends. And also it'll show you recently watched videos. So anything you've watched recently, whether it's through the Fire TV Facebook app or on the actual Facebook website itself, uh, those will show up in a, in a separate section as well. Um, the actual video player itself is fairly nice. You've got uh, the option to like the video right there in the player. You've got the option to save the video, and that'll go into a separate section if you want to save it. Uh, when you save a video, you can actually save it from the Facebook website or the Facebook mobile app, and it'll all kind of be synced and saved in the same spot. So you can actually you know, be, be on your mobile device and see a video and hit save, and then later on hop onto your Fire TV and then watch a video that way. So that's kind of a nice little experience. You can also uh, view like the channel they call it, but really it's like all the videos from a certain uh, Facebook profile or Facebook page uh, directly on the uh, video player also itself. So if you're watching a video from some place that was shared by a friend, uh, you can go in and see what other videos that account has actually published also. Um, so a lot of nice little features here and there. You know, it's a first version, so I'm sure it'll get a little bit better, you know, work out some of the bugs. I saw some, some odd error messages appear when I was first testing it, but again, they'll probably update things 
things. But pretty nice app. If you're a Facebook user, you'll probably enjoy this. You know, it's always nice to, to see more content, more content options on the Fire TV. So definitely uh, check it out if you're interested. All right, next up, I wanted to talk a little bit about some app deals. There are actually three paid apps that are currently free right now. Hopefully, by the time you watch this or listen to this, those apps are still free and you can still grab them. The first one is Pac-Man Championship Edition DX. It is a new game, came out about a week ago, I think. It's an official Pac-Man game from uh, Namco or Bandai Namco. And it's kind of like a modern twist on the older Pac-Man games. There's like over 100 levels in this game. Normally, it's $4.99. Currently, it's completely for free. I don't know if there are in-app purchases in this in this game or not, but hey, you can pick it up for free where normally it's 5 bucks. So, of course, I'll definitely put a link down below if you're interested in this. It does work on all the Fire TV devices, new and old Fire TV boxes, Fire TV sticks, and it works with the uh, game controller and the Fire TV remote. So you don't actually need a game controller if you don't have one. Next free app I want to talk about, or normally paid but currently free app I want to talk about, is called Headlines. It's an RSS reader for the Fire TV. Normally it's $1.49. Currently it's free. Uh, the developer contacted me, told me it's going to be free through the first week of March. So I think March 8th or so it's going to go back to its regular price. So hopefully you'll be able to pick this up if you're interested. Uh, basically it's an RSS reader, which means you'll be able to read news on your Fire TV through this app. And so you can you know put in the RSS feeds of your favorite uh no, you know blogs or anything i'm pretty sure my rss feed would work which is at uh, aftvnews.com slash feed if i'm not mistaken uh, there's i think a link down at the very bottom of my site uh, i'll put a, a few links to some of the different rss feeds that i offer i offer a few little uh, unique feeds like a feed for deals a feed for new apps that sort of stuff if you're interested in putting those in separately as opposed to just my generic rss feed but yeah, the developer told me that they uh, recently did a big overhaul of the site new, or of the app, new interface. They added some new features. You can actually see a uh, Twitter tre trending topics also within the app. You could see a weather feed through the app. So it seems like it's gotten a lot of nice features, especially for the, the price of free. So definitely check it out if you're interested. And the last uh, formally paid or currently free on sale app that I want to talk about is uh, an app called Watch It. It's actually a Reddit client. So normally it's 99 cents. Currently it's for free. Uh, same thing kind of with the other one the developer contacted me about this one told me it's going to be free for this weekend because they just did a little bit of an update and refreshed the app a little bit so they wanted to kind of uh, promote it and celebrate it by offering it for free for the weekend but yeah it's a reddit client uh, focused specifically towards videos so if you're a fan of reddit or you just want to have new content to watch you know top videos from like around the web reddit is a good place a lot of people share videos on reddit and you can watch them now pretty easily on the fire tv using this watch it app so uh look look down below of course to a link for all of these apps and where to get them directly um i suggest you actually go and get them from amazon's website you can actually go in select cloud only when you purchase these free apps that way you get them added to your account and then even when they go into you know, when they go back to being a paid app, you'll still be able to install them for free on your Fire TV devices. So that's like one little trick. So whenever you see me write about a paid app, it's recommended that you click through, go to Amazon, basically purchase it, but select the deliver to cloud only option. And basically it'll be forever available to your Amazon account. And so that's, that's one thing you should do. <laughs> 
All right, next up, let's talk a little bit about Alexa. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the episode, this is probably the time where you should probably mute your Echo devices and tap devices so that they don't wake up when I say Alexa constantly through this article. But basically, Alexa may soon distinguish between different voices. So Time Magazine has reported this, that a source has told them that Amazon is working on this feature where it, Alexa will be able to actually tell who's actually speaking to it within a household. So Amazon Echo and Echo Dot and tap devices, they currently support multiple user accounts and you could just you know pick them up and say switch accounts or switch users and it'll switch into different profiles and the, the profiles are controlled with your Amazon household settings so there's a there's an area on Amazon called households and you can add different people to your actual Amazon household and then those different accounts will be accessible through your echo and echo dot devices uh, but if Alexa can distinguish between different voices then you'll be able to possibly uh, access features without having having to switch accounts, for example. One benefit of switching accounts, for example, is uh, you can have like Pandora set up on different people with different Pandora accounts. So, you know, myself, for example, I have my Pandora account linked with Alexa and then my wife has her Pandora account linked with Alexa. And so if I want to play something on Pandora, I'll ask for it. And then if she wants to play something, she'll have to make sure to switch accounts first. And then when I go back to play, I'll have to switch accounts back. Theoretically, if Alexa could tell the difference between our voices, she would automatically basically play the uh, Pandora station from the correct Pandora account, depending on who's asking for it. Uh, another thing that would be possible if Alexa could determine uh, voices and, and who's who is the uh, shopping through Alexa. So currently, if you want to prevent people from be being able to shop through Alexa, you have to set up a pin code. And the pin code is kind of useless if other people are in the room because you have to actually speak out the pin code. And obviously, say you're trying to keep your kids from shopping and buying toys through Alexa when you're not around, you'll have to basically currently you have to make sure they're like not in the room when you actually use Alexa to shop uh, because you have to speak out that pin code. Um, theoretically, if Alexa could, you know, distinguish between yourself and your kids, it could automatically block out purchases from your kids and automatically allow purchases from yourself. So a uh, lot of nice possibilities there if Alexa could actually determine voices and tell the difference between different people. Um, there's always the risk there that it's not going to work perfectly well, especially if people have similar voices, um, you know, adults and kids probably have different enough voices where it probably won't have a, an issue there but if it's like you and a brother or you know if it's you know if it's a female and a sister for example they probably have similar voices or even like an older daughter and her mother or an older son and, and the father you know they probably have similar voices and so there might be issues there i would expect but hopefully this feature will actually come to uh, amazon echo echo dots maybe even the fire tv itself uh, so looking forward to that all right, next up, let's talk about a new device that Amazon's potentially working on. Uh, I actually have the exclusive on this because I found this image of this new product, unreleased product. It looks like it is a security camera that possibly has Alexa capabilities built into it. So don't really have much to go off other than this image itself. Um, if you're familiar with the site or familiar with my work, basically I have scripts that kind of crawl various websites to try to find uh, new versions of products. You know, primarily I wrote them for uh, new versions of Fire TVs to try to find those or pick up on those before they're actually released. And so one of my scripts uh, picked up on this image, found this image sitting on Amazon servers. So this isn't, you know, something I've, I found on some random website that's claiming it's it's a new product or something. This is actually directly from Amazon. So I'm almost, you know, 100% sure this is actually a product that's going to be released, you know, probably sometime in the next few months, I would imagine. 
But yeah, if you're watching the video version, you can uh, definitely see it here on the screen. If you're not, I'll absolutely put a link down below directly to the uh, high-res version of this image for you to, to check out You know, when you have the time if you are just listening to the audio version. But again, as always, I'll try to be as descriptive as possible. But basically, it's like a, a cylindrical shape on a stand and it has a camera lens on it. So it looks like it's a security camera kind of to compete with the uh, next Nest Cam and some you know various other... Uh, home security cameras that are on the market right now. Uh, the main reason I think it might have Alexa capabilities built into it is because around the camera there appears to be a blue light, a blue ring light that's very reminiscent of the actual Echo Dot and the uh, Echo blue light that's at the top of the device. So other than the uh, blue light ring that's around the camera, there appears to be uh, a IR LEDs on either corner of the camera. So there are four LEDs basically that surround the camera lens. Those are most likely IR LEDs because uh, it's very common for security cameras to have infrared LEDs because it uses them for basically night vision. So the human eye cannot see infrared light, but cameras can. And so if the room is too dark, those LEDs will probably turn on. Um, that's how it works on basically most security cameras that can see at night or they you know, have a night vision feature. So it's very likely that's what these are. But it'll basically shine those LEDs. The naked eye won't be able to see them. The, the room will still seem dark, but the camera lens itself will be able to see that light and, and see the room much better at night. So that's probably what those are. Now, if you move to the top of the device, you can see there are these two little dots, basically, two little openings. Those are most likely the microphones. Uh, it's very interesting that there are two of them. Usually on a camera like this, you've only got one microphone. So this is another reason why I think this might have Alexa capabilities. Now, to clarify, by Alexa capabilities, I actually mean I think this device might actually act like an Echo Dot where you can speak to it. You can speak to Alexa, make Alexa commands, and you, you have the full Alexa capabilities where it will actually hear you and talk back. Um, this is just a hunch, but just, you know, there, there are these little hints that say this might be the actual case. Uh, another thing is the actual size of this. So you could see the camera portion is at the very bottom of the device. And then, you know, another, you know, probably like three times that size that the camera takes is the actual full height of it. So there's a lot of empty space there. Could possibly be a speaker. We can't really see it in this image. It's just black. But there could be a speaker there. There could be a speaker grill on the back of it. So it's possible. It's not uncommon for, you know, these home security cameras to have both microphones and speakers so that you can actually use them almost like an intercom. So from like the mobile app where you can view the video, you can actually press a button a lot of times and speak into your phone and that will come out of the actual camera itself. Uh, I have these uh, Netgear Arlo cameras and they have this feature. So it's, it's fairly common nowadays to have this, uh, you know, kind of almost two-way communication where the camera can hear what people are saying. And so you'll hear that on the app and then you can talk back through a speaker that's on the camera. And so if this in fact does have a speaker and a microphone and a blue light, I mean, that's basically an Echo Dot. So it's like almost why not make this a full on Echo Dot type of device where you could just talk to it, you know, like you talk to any Alexa device. So again, of course, all of this is speculation. We basically only have this image to go off. I couldn't find any actual documentation or information about the product. I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know when it's going to come out. I don't know how much it's going to cost. Uh, basically, it's all just based off this image, but it was definitely interesting enough that I wanted to, to post about it and a few other tech sites, uh, The Verge, CNET, they all picked up on this little uh, image that I found. So definitely seems to have interested a lot of people. 
All right, next up, uh, before getting into the Q&A section, I want to talk about YouTube a little bit. They unveiled their new TV service that's going to be coming up uh, this spring, I think they said. Uh, I want to talk about this and maybe just kind of in general uh, streaming services like Sling and PlayStation View and DirecTV and Hulu and that sort of stuff and uh, kind of where I think things are going and, and what this means for, for streaming devices like the Fire TV. But before we get into that talk, just to talk a little bit about YouTube service. So they're calling it YouTube TV. It's going to be $35 a month for the, the base plan. Uh, right now, it looks like there's only going to be a single base plan. So it's, you know, you either get all the channels they offer or none of the channels that they offer. So for that $35, they're offering, I think, a total of 44 channels. If you're watching the video version, you can see them here. Uh, one thing that's significant is they're offering all four of the broadcast channels, the big U.S. broadcasters, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And so not all of the services offer that. Because they're offering these four big broadcast channels, this is going to be in select or it's going to be available in select U.S. cities initially. So you can probably think of the big the big areas in the U.S., San Francisco, L.A., you know, Dallas, New York, that sort of stuff. You know, those those big major cities. That's usually the case because those four broadcasters, they don't own all of the ABC channels across the entire nation. The smaller cities that have their own local ABC affiliate, they call them. Uh, ABC, for example, does not own that affiliate. That affiliate is a separate thing. And so ABC does not have the right to offer it streaming through a service like this. And so that's why, you know, a lot of times both with Sling, both with, you know, PlayStation View and DirecTV, they don't offer the big four broadcasters just basically in every single city across the nation. And so you can expect this YouTube service when it comes out, this YouTube TV service, when it comes out to be basically the same thing. I won't go through the actual full uh, channel list right now in the episode, but of course you can look down below. I'll put a link to this article that lists all the different channels. Uh, but one thing to note is that YouTube has said this service is going to be mobile first, quote mobile first, which means it's going to be heavily based on a mobile device, not necessarily a TV streaming box device like the Fire TV or the Fire TV Stick. So it's very unlikely this will have an app made for the Fire TV. Right now, YouTube or Google, who owns YouTube, has said that they're not even going to make an Android TV app for this. Uh, basically, you're going to have to rely on Chromecast to actually watch this. So those of you with Android TV devices, you'll have to basically use your phone to, to browse the YouTube TV content and then you know cast that over from your phone to the casting capability of your set-top box. So that's a bit of a bummer there that they're not actually just at least making an Android TV app for this new service. It's really going to be very focused on the cell phone, it looks like. Um, the service itself, the YouTube TV service, is completely separate from the YouTube Red service. So if you're a YouTube Red subscriber, you won't get YouTube TV or you won't have any benefit of YouTube TV. You still have to pay that extra $35 to get a separate YouTube TV subscription. It's going to use a separate app itself also. Um, one of the things Google says is that they're they're going to try to differentiate their service not based on the number of channels you can get because there's a lot of missing networks it's so youtube is not after trying to get every single you know network or channel available for a really low price or anything like that they said they're going to try to differentiate based on features from their competitors so they say right off the bat they're going to have unlimited uh, dvr cloud storage basically for all of their service so you'll be able to record any show as much as you want and store it for as long as you want basically in the cloud and retrieve it whenever you want. Uh, they also say they're doing a six accounts, one price 
program where when that $35 a month subscription will get you six individual accounts that can access the programming. From those six accounts, only three streams can simultaneously view the content though. So it's not like all six people can, can view at once. But the benefit of having six accounts is that each person is gonna have their own separate cloud DVR and their own separate recommendations and their own separate favorite shows and that sort of stuff. So so it's kind of nice that they'll they'll do those individual accounts. So, so literally everybody will Will have their own you know experience their own app as if they're an individual subscriber but again you're only going to be able to stream three streams three different uh, actual viewings at once so that's basically the gist of the actual you know youtube tv service again it's going to supposedly come spring of this year they haven't said exactly when uh, you can expect it for this 35 dollars a month now obviously this service is going to compete with sling tv playstation view direct tv now those are the, the three most popular basically cable but through the internet services um you know they're not really that innovative it's kind of the same old cable subscription model but just streamed through the internet now so just to, to talk about that whole industry as a whole a little bit um it feels like now basically every service that streams video of any sort is probably going to have a competing you know cable streaming tv service you know so you know, we know Apple has been working on something for a while. Hulu is working on something themselves. So they're going to have some kind of similar TV service coming out. I'm sure Apple is still working on stuff. They're probably going to come out with something. Um, I almost guarantee Amazon is also going to probably come out with their own, you know, pay $30, $40, whatever it is, a month cable TV service. And you can stream it through the Fire TV or through Amazon video apps. It's almost a given now that it's probably going to happen. So it, it, I don't think this really helps things much because you're basically just getting a slightly different package for slightly different prices everywhere. You know, YouTube's is 35 for 44 channels. Uh, Sling TV, it starts at $20 for, uh, I forget how many channels they're up to now. I think it started with around 20 channels, but they've, they've kept adding things. PlayStation View, I think, has one of the bigger catalogs, but obviously it's a little more expensive. Up in that $40 price, I think it starts at. And it's like... I don't know. You're not really, you know, us as consumers, I don't think we're really benefiting much from these types of services. I think this is the networks themselves not wanting to, you know, put all of their their content into one unique plan. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, when Apple themselves were, were working and all those rumors were going around like a year or a year and a half ago where Apple was trying to create a TV service and they're talking with networks and all that stuff. Uh, you know, you always heard about how Apple's going to revolutionize things and then the networks were all resisting that. And so I think the networks, they don't want one service to come out with this like awesome plan that then everybody goes and gets and signs up for because it's so much better than every other option out there. And they don't want that, I think, because they don't want to put that kind of power into one company. So, for example, Apple came up with this amazing service where it's like a la carte and you get to choose exactly which channels you want. And it's a great price and you end up paying like 15 a month for all the like channels that you watch the most you know, the networks are scared of that. So I think that's why they're kind of just diluting themselves and letting anybody with a streaming 
video service offer their programming for some like, you know, bundled price. And, you know, in the end, I don't think this is helping things. It's basically going back to the old cable model. You do have more options, which is a good thing. You know, if you want just a few channels, you can go with Sling. If you want all the channels, you can go with PlayStation View. DirecTV now has a lot of channels also. So, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's not horrible. I'm not saying this shouldn't happen, but, you know, it's 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 not that impressive is what I'm saying. So um, don't be surprised if we see even more of these from Amazon. We know Hulu's working on it. I mean, we already have rumors. I forget who it was or which, maybe it was Wall Street Journal report a while back that Amazon was already in talks with cable networks to, to develop their own TV service, you know, month, monthly subscription. Um, I would probably expect that Amazon's will be priced more aggressively if you're a Prime member that's usually the case. Um, all of this really reminds me of the music streaming services. So right now, basically, it's it's almost like, you know, if you want a music streaming service, you pay 10 bucks and you just kind of uh, 10 bucks a month and you just pick which company you want to go with. Do you want to go with Google? Do you want to go to Spotify? Do you want to go with Apple? Do you want to go with Amazon? And it's kind of the same thing now with these uh, cable networks. So you know, it's nobody's revolutionizing anything. They're all just kind of jumping on the same, you know, bandwagon, the same thing, basically, just so that they kind of have uh, an equivalent service at the very least. And nobody's really trying to do anything different. I mean, Amazon did something a little different with their Amazon channels, because that's as close to like an a la carte service as you have gotten. But they couldn't get those deals with the big networks. I mean, they got stars, they got Showtime, they have HBO now. But I mean, HBO's is it's already a la carte on its own because it's so separate from everything else. But yeah, it is what it is. I don't think things are going to get too revolutionary this year. I think as this year moves forward, we're just going to see more and more. We're going to see just more and more big tech companies have their own version of Sling TV, DirecTV, PlayStation View, YouTube TV, Apple TV, whatever they end up calling it, um, Hulu. You know, Amazon's working again. It's all going to be just kind of the same, and none of them, none of them are really going to stand out. And I think it's because the networks themselves don't want any of them to stand out. Um, hopefully, things change, but right now it's it's very you know unimpressive to me. Okay, let's go ahead and move into the Q&A section. As always, on Thursdays, I put a post up asking people to submit their questions or topics for me to try to answer and discuss here on the episode. I also take questions live uh, via Twitter at AFTV News. For those watching the live stream, feel free. We've already got a question here from James we'll get into. So James is asking a question that pretty much comes up every episode now, so I won't go into it in too much depth because I've uh, answered it before. But basically, he's asking, when is the new UI coming to the older first-gen devices? Uh, as always, I've always answered this. Uh, Amazon hasn't said, but my best guess is that we're going to see it in probably late April, early May-ish. But again, we don't know for sure. Um, I'll probably write an article about this specifically, uh, just based, you know, listing everything we know and when, why I think it's going to be April or, or May. I think part of the reason this question keeps coming up is I haven't actually wrote a separate article about this specific topic. I've always kind of just mentioned it briefly whenever I talk about the UI in, in some other post, like when the uh, Fire TV and the Fire TV Stick were available in Germany and the UK for the first time, or the, sorry, when the Fire TV 2 was available in the UK and Germany when it got released. Uh, I talked about that in that article about the new UI coming to the old devices, but but I think this coming week I'll definitely write an article and and hopefully you know those of you searching for an answer to this question will will find that. Next is a question from Ed Brinkus, also a common one that comes up often uh, about rooting the uh, new 5.2.4.0 software version, uh, asking if there are any updates on there. Uh, pretty much there are no updates there. Either a root comes out or a root doesn't come out. Nobody's really like actively working on a specific software version. 
Uh, usually it's just an exploit that gets found and somebody figures out how to root uh, Android running that exploit or Android that has that exploit available and then that root will end up working on the Fire TV. So it's not like anybody specifically is sitting there trying to root the Fire TV necessarily. I mean, it has happened in the past where somebody actively tried to root the Fire TV and figured it out. But, you know, usually these these rooting methods come out through exploits that are discovered on smartphones and then it just happens to also be available and work on the Fire TV. So there's really nothing to say there. You just got to have to wait for it. All right, next question here is from Nate. He asks, uh, I know it is all speculation at this point, but I was very excited to read about Amazon potentially getting into the home security camera business with their own product. Given your experience with other products, you found clues about pre-release. When could customers expect to hear any news about this product, if at all? So something you guys may have noticed lately when I have these kind of exclusives or I find some information that nobody else has or nobody else found, um, I've been a little more um, secretive about where I find that information and, and you know how I came across it and that sort of stuff. Uh, that's mostly because I don't want these, these holes basically to get patched up, to get closed up so that I can't find this info anymore. So without going into too much detail, um, you know, Nate is right. So when I do find information, depending on where the information was, it kind of does hint towards when a specific product might be released potentially, you know, obviously I have no way of knowing for sure, but for the security camera specifically, you know, the way I found this image and where I found this image kind of to me points to uh, it being fairly close to being at least announced, if not released. Um, my best guess, again, complete guess, absolute complete guess, but this is just based on previous leaks, previous things that I found about products before they were actually announced. My best guess would be we'll probably see something announced about this product uh, in about a month or two. That would be my guess. So I think we are fairly close. I think this is not like really early rumor or anything like that. That might happen, might not. I think this is a fairly finished product. I think Amazon is gearing up to actually make the full-on announcement, you know, in about a month or two. Our right, next question here is from C. Moreno is asking me if I could talk about the recent uh, status, basically the back order status of the Fire TV and the Fire TV sticks. Uh, so for those who don't know, I think the Fire TV stick right now, the second gen Fire TV stick in the U.S. at least, is back ordered for about a month. And the Fire TV, I think, is a couple weeks or so. Uh, I've talked about this in pieces in the past, but I guess, uh, you know, I can definitely summarize things right now. I still think Amazon had issues with the uh, remote control itself because the uh, Fire TV Gaming Edition was uh, is still in stock and has always been in stock and that does not have the voice remote. And then back when Amazon was still selling the uh, Fire TV stick without a voice remote in the UK and Germany, you know, before they announced the new second gen Fire TV stick, that was also still in stock while the voice remote version of the same product was out of stock. So I do still think the case was that Amazon had issues with that remote, some kind, either production issues or, or I don't know, they can't, they couldn't make them enough, or they had issues where a batch, the big batch they made, had problems that they had to recall them. I don't know the specifics, but I do think there were issues with that voice remote. And so I think that led to the initial back order or, or initially things going out of stock. And then you had the Fire TV Stick 2 released in the uh, UK and Germany this week, or not released, sorry, announced. And so I think because there were issues with the remote control, I think Amazon currently is basically getting through those issues, but all devices being produced those remotes specifically are being allocated towards the coming up April release of the Fire TV Stick 2 in the UK and in Germany. 
Again, this is all speculation. This is all my guess. But, you know, just kind of looking at things, trying to piece things together. It looks like there were, you know, production issues with the remote. Those probably have been fixed by now, I would hope. But because, you know, there was a period where they didn't have enough remotes, they now all of the remotes that they're making are going to be going to the UK and Germany so that the Fire TV Stick 2 has a good, smooth launch. I bet you that's that number one priority right now, I would expect. Um, and so therefore, the US supply is suffering because, um, you know, um, yes, the Fire TV itself is also out of stock, but the Fire TV has the same remote. So I think that is still out of stock because that remote is missing. Uh, I'm sure come April, come May, probably, you know, once the Fire TV stick has launched in the UK, all that supply will, will get fixed again and you'll be able to get, you know, Fire TVs and Fire TV sticks in the US, you know, without having to, you know, pre-order them or back order them, essentially. But definitely if you want those devices, Put in those back orders right now. You'll still get them shipped. Amazon will probably speed things up a little bit if they see a lot of back orders coming up. Um, well, sorry, not speed things up, but you know, you'll you might get it earlier there if you put in those back orders early. So, um, yeah, I think that's the case. I don't think there's anything other than that. Um, I don't think Amazon's going to do anything different to you know fix these and try to prevent these. I'm sure this was unpredictable. The the issues that were happening because it's never really happened before for the Fire TV. Um, I do. Don't think that this is an indication that we're going to see a new device come out very soon. You know, usually when things go out of stock, it kind of hints that a new device is coming out. But I've already talked about this in the past. The Fire TV Stick 2 just came out. And so definitely I, that is not going to re be replaced. The Fire TV box itself will probably be replaced at some point this year. But I, I don't think it's going to happen right now. I think it's going to happen near the end of the year. All right, next question here is from Y314K asking if it's still recommended to install BusyBox on a rooted device uh, when going from Fire OS 3 to Fire OS 5. It really depends on what you're doing with your device, really. Uh, for me, the number one reason to install BusyBox is to be able to do MD5 hash calculations on the Fire TV itself so that when I transfer uh, packages or files onto the device that are going to make you know major system changes, I can ensure that those did not get corrupted in the transfer. And so the best way to do that is to actually test them and check their MD5 hash value on the actual device itself, not just before you actually do the transfer to the device, you know, from a PC or something. Um, as far as my guides for installing BusyBox, I have not looked into it in a while, so I don't know if those guys are still completely accurate. I'll try to find time to look at that and make sure it's still the same way to install BusyBox on, on the Fire TV 1, 2, and, and the stick. But again, there's no real harm in installing BusyBox. Uh, for those who don't know, I guess I should say what is BusyBox. Um, BusyBox is basically just a, a group of a package of uh, Linux utilities that some mods for Fire TVs or, or Android in general end up using. And so there are certain mods for Android that require BusyBox to be present because instead of including those Linux utilities in the mod itself, they rely on BusyBox being present and they just basically refer to BusyBox, you know, and get the utilities from there. And so uh, if you install a mod on your Fire TV or make a change or install some kind of app or exposed or something like that, uh, it you know, if it doesn't work, it might be because you have BusyBox missing. But again, there's no harm in putting those utilities on there. There's no harm in just installing BusyBox anyway. That's why I used to just kind of make it recommended or or just make it a step in my, you know, routing guide and my, my routing process or my installation process for installing BusyBox or Exposed or something like that. So is it required? Not really. Is it recommended? Probably, you know. It, again, it doesn't harm, so you might as well do it. And I'll go ahead and look into my older guys just to see if, uh, you know, 
BusyBox installation still works on the latest OSs. All right, next question here is from Lori. She says she uh, went through the process of setting up her Echo Dot to be able to access the Ask Google skill. Uh, for those who don't know, I wrote a guide on basically how to add a little bit of Google's Assistant, Google's Voice Assistant, and be able to access that through Alexa on any Alexa-enabled device, you know, on the Fire TV or the Echo and the Echo Dot. And so Lori has done this, but she did the whole process of setting it all up under her own Amazon account. But she says all of her Echoes and Echo Dots are currently set up through her husband's Amazon account. And so therefore she cannot access the Google, the Ask Google skill that she created uh, from those Echoes and those Echo Dots. So the best solution is to just redo everything with the husband's account, Lori, but uh, you can kind of get around it. So um, as I, I talked about it previously, Amazon has this uh, households concept where you can link multiple Amazon accounts in under a same household. And when you do that, those Amazon accounts can kind of share services uh, that might be linked from one account to another. Uh, I'm pretty sure Alexa skills do not get transferred when you link households, but at the very least, when you link households, you'll be able to switch accounts. So uh, you'll still have to, you know, from the Echo Dot, tell it switch accounts, and then it'll switch from the husband's account to, the, you know, Lori's account. And then from there, you'll be able to access that Ask Google skill that you set up under, you know, Lori's account. But it is a bit of a hassle to always have to switch accounts just to access this one skill. So this is why I still kind of recommend going through the whole process and, and doing it over under the main Amazon account, the, you know, the husband's account here. But if you do go in, link the two accounts under a household, that will allow you to ask Alexa to switch accounts. And when you switch accounts, any Alexa skills that are associated, associated with the switched account will be accessible. So... It's not a complete loss, but for simplicity, if you want, you know, ease of use, I would still recommend, you know, just redoing everything uh, using the husband's account. Uh, Damien's actually got a follow-up question here asking, can she register her dot? Meaning, can Lori actually register the dot under her own Amazon account as opposed to her having it set up under her husband's account? Uh, definitely you can, but you'll kind of run into the same issues if there are certain services linked with the husband's account that are not accessible through Lori's account. Um, but yeah, absolutely, you can go into the Alexa app or even Amazon's website, deregister a Echo DAO or Echo, any kind of hardware device that Amazon makes, and then register it using a different Amazon account, you know, Lori's Amazon account. So that's definitely an option too. Um, but you have to definitely think of what are you doing with the husband's account currently that you might potentially lose and still have to switch accounts for. So, you know, up to, up to Lori there. All right, next question is from AFTV user saying, uh, given what I understand to be a slightly modified directory structure in Kodi Krypton version 17, which I have not yet installed versus Kodi Jarvis version 16.2, are any updates slash changes required to the guides with regard to moving Kodi data to either a USB device or a micro SD card? Um, as far as I know, there shouldn't be any changes in Kodi Krypton versus Kodi Jarvis, the version 17 versus version 16, as far as the actual user data, user directory. Um, maybe there's some bug that is causing the incompatibility. I know uh, Kodi team already released the uh, first release candidate for Kodi version 17.1. So maybe if there is a, a difference in directory structure, it wasn't intentional, because as far as I know, it should be a smooth update from version 16 to version 17 as far as Kodi goes. You shouldn't have to change anything. You shouldn't have to lose your data settings, your user settings, or anything like that. I have not actually tested to verify that Kodi uh, 
moving Cody's data over to external storage, like like uh, it was said, either a USB device or a micro SD slot or card. I have not verified that Cody 17 still works with my guides for that. Uh, I will try to find time this week to go ahead and, you know, both basically uh, I'll go ahead and set up Cody 16, move the data over to external storage and then install Cody 17 on top of that just to see if there's any funniness, any funny issues going on. Uh, and then I'll also try to just, you know, wipe everything, install Cody 17, move the data over using my guide uh, just to see. But yeah, I haven't gone in to verify that because I assumed because Cody said, you know, the Cody team basically said that it should be a smooth update from, from one version to the other without having to change anything or lose any settings. I assumed everything just works which is why i haven't tested it yet but i will go ahead and test things just to to double check that next question here is from matthew asking about when i think a fire tv 3 is going to come out and what i think uh kind of features new features new upgrades it might have to offer so as i've mentioned it in the past um my opinion i mean amazon obviously hasn't said anything there have not been any leaks at all about a fire tv 3 uh, but if I were to guess, I would say that a Fire TV 3 is going to come out near the October, November time period. That's right around when Amazon tends to update the Fire TV line of devices. And the Fire TV 2 now is over a year old. So I would definitely expect that come this, you know, Fire TV update season, which is the October, November time period. Uh, I would definitely expect there to be a new Fire TV 3 or a Fire, uh, basically a, an update, a replacement for the Fire TV 2 box itself. As far as new features that might be added, uh, I would expect definitely HDR support to be added there. I would be shocked if that wasn't included. Uh, I expect to have 4K 60 frames per second support and hopefully uh, the UI rendering in 4K. So currently on the Fire TV 2, it is a 4K device, but it can it, it still renders the UI in only 1080 and then does a, a switch over in resolution whenever you play a 4K device. Um, and then that 4K can only play back in 30 frames per second, which is usually fine for things like movies because movies are always shot in 30 frames or less. Um, but, you know, some people like to watch YouTube 60 frames per second in 4K, for example. And so that would be really nice to support there. So those two are kind of givens in my opinion. I mean, you know, HDR support, 4K at 60 frames per second are probably givens for the, the next Fire TV device. Uh, beyond that, you know, now we're kind of just talking about speculating here. Um, I've always talked about the, the remote control itself could get updates. There's always room to improve there. Um, you could get a headphone jack in the remote control like you have on the game controller. Uh, you could get some kind of motion sensitivity in there. Uh, you could get some kind of touch basis in there or you could get the exact same remote control you know who knows it's really tough to say um uh, as far as the box itself goes maybe we'll see the return of optical audio out that would be really nice i know people like the expandable micro sd slot that got added with the fire tv 2 but a lot of people really miss that optical audio so it would be really nice to get that there maybe gigabit ethernet on there uh, definitely a move up to hdmi 2 whatever it is 2.0 2.1 you know the the higher hdmi spec so that it supports the uh the hdr support and all that um, speaking of HDR, I would also expect the higher 10-bit um, color, whatever you call it, spectrum. Um, basically, better better color out of the device. Currently, it can only do the 8-bit color profiles for uh, for H.265 encoded files, the HEVC. Uh, back even before the Fire TV 2 was announced, I said that it would be really awesome if the Fire TV box itself had a speaker built into it and microphone so that it itself acted like an Echo Dot. 
So you can actually talk to it without actually having to pick up the remote control. I mean, that's I know that's a really far out there option or really far out there feature. But hey, you know, you know, you're you're asking me here to to try to guess what's gonna come. So so that would be really cool to actually have. As far as software goes, I would hope maybe the actual you know UI would become a little more customizable. I know we just got the new UI on on the uh, Fire TV Stick Two and the Fire TV Two itself. But maybe they'll they'll do a little update there, add more options for customization there. Uh, I would like Alexa to be more you know deeply integrated in the device. I would hope that would happen also. Currently, Alexa on the Fire TV, it still kind of just sits as a layer on top of the the UI itself. You know, you can't like use it to to type inside of apps. You know, for example, like a, you know that's a given. Anytime the the on screen keyboard comes up, Alexa should be an option. You know, hopefully that kind of feature will come. But, you know, just in general, more of an in-depth integration of Alexa just throughout the device so that voice becomes more of a part of things other than just searching and talking to Alexa, you know, as like a layer above everything else. All right, next we got a few questions here from John Crabtree. Uh, first up was asking about the new UI coming to the older devices. Already talked about that. Uh, also asking about live streams like Hulu and, and DirecTV now coming to the Fire TV. Already talked about that also. I do think we'll see uh, an actual like, you know, similar to DirecTV now service from, uh, you know, Amazon basically where you can, you know, pay whatever. It's going to be 20, 30, 40 bucks a month and you get some some base package of channels. They call them slim bundles basically. I definitely think Amazon's going to create something like that and it'll be accessible through the Fire TV. And John's last question is any idea on Fire TV being able to use a USB tuner and using the new TV interface? Um, I definitely think it's something Amazon's considering. I can't imagine they're not, um, especially now that the Android TV boxes have just received DVR capabilities and you can have network tuners. Um, they don't, I think, support USB tuners. I'm not, I'm not sure though. I, you know, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon as far as the Fire TV goes where you'll be able to just plug in a USB tuner and you'll get that same interface that the Fire TV Edition televisions have. But I've talked about this in the past. I do think Amazon is probably testing things out, trying things out. I would think maybe actually that's that's another feature that's potential for the Fire TV 3. I would think at, at the absolute earliest would be at the end of this year, October, November, when when I would expect the Fire TV 3 to come out. Possibly it'll have this, this tuner support on the actual device itself, um, either USB tuner support or network tuner support. Um, I don't know for sure because it does seem like Amazon is a little late on the whole tuner over the air support on the fire tvs goes you know their tvs themselves have not been released yet we're expecting those fire tv edition televisions that have the fire tv os running on a tv we're expecting those to come out around mid-year you know june july time period and so i would think maybe you know if those are coming out this year mid-year then maybe next year mid-year ish we might see those features trickle down into the fire tv you know, because you have to figure that these things are not being developed, you know, in parallel. Uh, it's very difficult to develop these kind of features all at once, all across the board. And so they probably focused on it, on these televisions first, got it working. Now that that's done, they probably started working on hopefully tuner type support for the Fire TV box devices. So so maybe Fire TV 3 or an update to the OS of the Fire TV 3, uh, you know, later on we might see tuner support. But, you know, again, I wouldn't think it's going to come anytime soon. Our right, next question here from Damien asking, how does my Amazon game controller know that I touched it? Uh, I assume it's to save battery. I'm just curious. 
uh, yeah, definitely. I think it is to save battery, but I actually wrote an article about this. I'll, I'll link it down below. Uh, the game controller itself actually has a uh, motion detection in it. So when you pick it up, when it actually moves, it actually basically wakes itself up and connects to the Fire TV. Um, the main reason is so that, yeah, it can probably go into a sleep mode, conserve battery, but then when you pick up the remote, the game controller before it actually, uh, you know, you before you actually press a button, it will basically wake up and try to connect itself so that it's ready and connected when you hit that first button. Um, I took a little video, I think, of this happening, you know, when the, you can see the game controller is asleep. And when you just shake it without pressing any buttons, you could see the little LED lights will wake up and, and try to start to connect itself to the Fire TV. So yeah, uh, basically it just it has a uh, accelerometer inside so that it detects that motion and, and wakes up that way. All right, that'll do it for the 73rd episode of the AFTV Newscast. Thank you so much for watching and for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that like button. It really helps me out a lot and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Really appreciate those two things. Uh, of course, you can get the episode and audio version only through various different podcast clients and podcast sources. Uh, I put a link down at the very bottom of my show notes, basically a link to all the different ways you can get the podcast episodes. So if you're watching this either on the, the main AFTVnews.com website when I post this, but you prefer to just listen to it on your phone or something check out those links for sure you'll you'll be able to find different ways to listen to the podcast uh, again thanks so much for watching and hope to uh, see you next week